the, the sermon is called Steamed, and the title of this series is called uh, What's It Matter to You? Uh, with an emphasis on the word matter. J.C. came up with the sermon series title. Um, yeah, she did it. So a lot of people say, I don't have anger management issues, or I don't have anger issues, and I don't actually need anger management. I just need people to stop taking me off. Anybody ever been there? <laughs> yeah. But really, we can't control other people, so we have to control ourselves. And um, I'm going to talk to you a little bit tonight about how to find the middle, the balance between passivity and aggression. So passive is this. If you say, like, people tell you you're too nice, or they say, you, you just tell yourself, suck it up, hold it in. Sometimes you deny it, or you're going through denial, um, which is also a river in Egypt. But it's <laughs> subtle manipulation. Um, if you carry guilt, if you feel powerless to change your situation, but especially if you have weak boundaries, that you know that you're dealing with an issue of passivity. On the other side, on the other side of the pendulum, if you swing too far, then you're going to see something called aggression, right? And that means you're mean, you blow it out of proportion, you explode, you express hostily or with a lot of hostility. Um, you are somebody who would be have man, overt manipulation, and um, maybe you, you're powerless, but you're powerless in a different way than passive people are powerless. You're powerless to control yourself. Passive people feel powerless to change their situation because they feel like other people are controlling their environment, but aggressors are powerless to control their internal environment. So... And they have a, a rigid sense of boundaries. So they hold people really differently. Here's the, here's the middle ground is assertive people. So imagine you've got an arrow. On this side is passive. This side is aggressive. And this is assertive. Assertive people are firm. They deliver messages clearly. They use I statements. Anybody know what an I statement is? I feel this way. Instead of accusing somebody, you always do this. I've, I'm... I'm I feel this way, I think this way. Uh, they have a broken record system. And that means that if somebody keeps asking you the same question, expect, expecting you to break down, you continue to say the same thing. No, thank you. No, thank you. No, thank you. Ask me one more time and you're going to get the same result. No, thank you. Right? Anybody ever had somebody ask you hoping that you'll change your mind? They keep asking. Yeah, you have kids. Definitely. <laughs> Stop that. All right, we won't ask. And they have a good sense of boundaries. I want you to go to a really important scripture, Numbers chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. All right, and I'm going to have somebody read that for me tonight. Any volunteers? Eric, you're on it. What, what version are you reading out of? Okay.
And if you don't know, Moses is heavily punished. He's given an amazing consequence for this. I'm going to go back and emphasize this. So we know the context is that Israel has exited from what country? Any, anybody? Yes, thank you. He's, they've exited from Egypt where they were enslaved, right? By who? By Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And that was a trick question. It's just, it wasn't meant to be tricky. I'm just trying to figure out if you're listening or not. So they're in the wilderness, and suddenly they're, they are sobbing for water. They're complaining for water. I mean, water is one of those healthy things that you need in your body, right? But it's not about how, it's not expressing your needs. It's expressing your needs the right way. Every person needs to learn how to express your needs. And Israel did absolutely have a need that needed expression. And all of us in this room, we're made of how much water? About two-thirds water, our bodies are. And if you go three days without water, you're probably going to die. Your kidneys are going to begin to shut down. You're going you're gonna to have some serious issues, which is why if you ever heard about people that are in the wilderness and they get caught or they get lost, you might hear a story about them drinking their own urine to try to stay alive or people that are out, yeah, two times, not, not any more than two times. But um, just in case you are one of those people that gets stranded and you need to know that. I learned that in Bible study. <laughs> um, I know that's gross, but um, the point is every one of us has needs and expectations in life. It's important, we mentioned it earlier, to have a healthy sense of expectation from others and from yourselves. But we do have needs, and those needs need to be communicated. But how do we communicate our needs? Do we do it with anger? Do we do it with complaint? Are we doing it in a negative way? Are we doing it in an accusing way? And these people were doing it in, in what, which one of those ways would you say the Israelites were communicating their need? What was it? Yeah, they were really, they were definitely complaining. There was a lot of negativity. Instead of saying, Moses, we trust you, we're out here with you, um, but we need water, right? So Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Here now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank in their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me to hold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. So... Why didn't Moses get to go into the promised land? Who's paying attention? They didn't trust in God, and specifically, God told them to speak to the rock, and Moses struck the rock twice. Now, that seems really extreme, right? That God, I mean, he went there, he believed that water was coming out of the rock, but he didn't do it in the right way. Why would God be so extreme as to condition that Moses, now you can't go into the promised land. I'm going to explain that in a minute. But these are the waters of Meribah where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord. And through them he showed himself holy. He still said he was set apart. So if you go back to verse, um, I'm going to go back to verse 6. Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance tent of the meeting and fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation 
you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock, speak to the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to their congregation and their cattle. Moses took the staff from the Lord of the Lord as he commanded him. But as you know, he hit the rock, struck the rock twice. Now, I want you to see the word picture. Now, if you go back to chapter 17 of Exodus, in verse 6, there's another incident in, in, in a situation, and he said, you'll strike the rock once. He said, Moses, I want you to strike the rock once. And Moses struck the rock once in chapter 17 of Exodus, and water flowed from it. But anybody, what do you think Moses is a picture of? If Jesus is a picture of grace, and he brought salvation, then what, did, what is Moses a picture of? Absolutely. Because Moses was given the Ten Commandments. So is anybody with me? So Moses came down, he, and so he received the law from God. So Moses is a picture of the law. So Jesus is, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 1 through 4, it says, They were drinking from a spiritual rock, which followed them, and the rock was Christ. If you go to first, I want somebody else to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. <clears throat> and when you got it, you got it? Who's got it? Verse 1. All right, read, read it real fast, Rintosh. So that's what I just want you to stop. So it says that the rock was a picture of Jesus Christ. It says that he's, he's the bedrock of our faith. We, we build our house upon what? The rock, which is Christ Jesus, and everything else is shifting sand, right? But Moses, a picture of the law and a leader, struck the rock, which is a picture of Christ, and he was only supposed to be struck one time as a foreshadowing of the spear that would pierce Jesus' side, right? So, and, and it's also a symbol of the suffering that Jesus would endure on our behalf in order to bring salvation, which is that living water, grace, and salvation. So this time, he said, I want you to go to the rock, and I want you to speak to it, because now we don't have, Jesus does not have to be crucified multiple times for us, and God needed to go out of his way to give a consequence to Moses so that we would have an explanation that Moses messed with the foreshadowing of God in the Old Testament. The Old Testament, this is, I'm teaching a little bit. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. The one, it says, Jesus said, I didn't come to annihilate the law. I didn't come to condemn the law. I came to what? Fulfill the law. Good teaching. You're, you're doing good, man. You're on it. Jesus said, I came to fulfill the law. So we don't throw out the Old Testament when Jesus comes along. We recognize that Jesus came to fulfill it. And a lot of these foreshadowings that we see in the Old Testament is a picture of Jesus who's coming. And he's, he's literally setting up feast, and feast actually, one of the words for feast means um, audition or rehearsal, 
and those things were rehearsals where they were rehearsing for when Christ would come. And everything that they did had symbolic meaning. God was thinking light years ahead of what he would do. It, even when he comes in the Garden of Eden and he sees Adam and Eve who had sin and he covers them with what? He covers them with the cloak of a lamb. Fig leaves, they, they sowed fig leaves, but then he gave them a lamb's skin. And then um, they did sow fig leaves together to cover themselves. But then when God, they couldn't cover themselves, so God covered them with the, with the, the cloak of a lamb or the mantle of a lamb. And that was a foreshadowing of how Christ would cover them. Because Christ is what? The lamb of God who was slain for the remission of sins. So, um, so Moses got angry because the people were expressing their need inappropriately. And in our lives, we're both, what, followers and we're leaders at the same time. As husbands, um, we're, we're the leadership of our home. As dads, we're the, we're the priest of our home. We're, we're moms, you're leading your kids as well. And, and uncles and aunts, you're role models for your, your nieces and your nephews. If you have brothers and sisters, they're looking after you. The youth downstairs, whether you know it or not, if you don't have any siblings, you don't have any kids, you don't have any nephews or nieces, they're watching you. So you're a leader. But in other, in other areas and situations, we're followers. So I want to examine this from two perspectives. As a leader, we've gotta, we've gotta got, we, we need to watch ourselves from responding to anger in anger. It's really easy to mirror the response. Like, have you ever noticed if you walk up to somebody and you're excited? If you're like, hey, how are you doing? Normally, the person that you, that you say that, like, that, they will respond to you and go, hey, how are you doing? Why? Because it's naturally human to respond to whatever energy somebody's at. If somebody walks up to you and is like, good day, sir. How are you? You're like, good day to you. I mean, we, we, just, we just naturally do that. As humans, we match whatever we're seeing. And especially elderly. I noticed it when I, my grandfather was in the uh, assisted living center. And we have a dementia unit at the end. And so if anybody's ever been there, you'll know that that's the unit where people have forgetfulness. And there's a, a horrible disease called Alzheimer's. And before my grandfather passed away and went to be in heaven, he was struggling with that memory loss. And I noticed it so blatantly with those people. If you greet them with a smile, they don't even know why, but they're smiling uh, for the most part. There's some, there's some rare cases. But if you are irritated at your job, good to see you, Marcus. That's, I think that's open. You're good. We saved it just for you. But, but there's a proverb and the proverb says, um, don't get too close to an angry man because you'll become angry. And I'm paraphrasing that, and I'll find that scripture for you in a minute. But we, if, we, if we surround ourselves with people that are angry, we're probably going to catch that virus because it's easy to catch emotions. And if you don't think that's true, I can start playing some um, really angry rock music. And if I started blaring that rock music, every one of us would get uncomfortable, right? If I started playing a sad country song, 
that made you think about your grandparents that went on or your girlfriend that left you or your boyfriend that took off with the dog. Yeah, right? You know, you might start feeling, you might start getting in your feels a little bit, right? We begin to match the music or it sets the atmosphere. We match people's expression. So as leaders, my point is this. Don't match anger with anger. Look to resolve the situation. Has anger ever resolved anything? When, was there ever a time when you're like, yeah, I was angry and it fixed something? There is. There, I, Taj has, Taj has, a, Taj has a, an interesting take. I can see you're saying there, I've seen anger do something. But it, in the long run, so, so if, you, if you rarely, if you're rarely mad and you choose exactly when you want to get angry. So it's not an impulsive anger. It is, it, it is a zealous anger that you're using as a tool, you, you can see results. But if you turn into the person who's constantly yelling all the time, then people will laugh at you. If every time they see you, you're yelling, they'll laugh at you. It's like the person who cusses all the time. If they cuss all the time and they use another cuss word when they're mad, you're not going to respond to that. But the guy that never cusses, he drops an F-bomb, and everybody's like, oh, shoot. Like, something just happened. And I don't, I, I'm not suggesting that we use foul language, but I am saying you can wear out the um, intensity and the usefulness of zealous anger, righteous anger. And I'll, I'll read a scripture really fast. Just so you understand that there actually, anger rarely solves issues. It rarely solves issues. I'll read a scripture though that um, it basically says this: Ephesians four twenty six. If you become angry, do not let your anger lead you into sin. So, if you become angry, so a lot of people would say. Um, it's a sin to be angry. But according to this, you didn't sin when you got angry, but your anger could lead you into sin. Does anybody understand what I'm, what I'm saying here? If you become angry, do not let your anger lead you into sin. So we know, we can, we can understand that anger in its own is not sin. But, and do not stay angry all day. So if I'm angry, I'm using it in a moment, for a moment, with a purpose. Because I am, what would be a situation where Jesus demonstrated that he was angry? Because Jesus got angry, and he was without sin. So when did he get angry? When he was at the temple, and why was it that he got mad? The, the, money, the money changers were, they said, you have turned my father's house into a den of themes. And so if you study that out, they were, taking, they were charging exorbitant prices. It's like the, the car salesman that has a $5,000 car on the lot. He knows there's a bunch of issues with it. And a single mom walks up who's barely making ends meet. And they look at her and they go, oh, yeah, I got one. She doesn't know the value of this car. She doesn't know what's wrong with this car. 
She has no idea I'm going to take advantage of this woman. And that's exactly what they were doing. They, this is a $5,000 car, but I'm going to charge her eighteen grand. And then in two years, her car's not going to work. So they, w- they knew that the money changers knew that the people, in order to get reconciled or redeemed from their sins, they had to sacrifice an animal at the altar because Jesus hadn't been crucified and become the Lamb of God that was slain. So all of the lambs that were being slain were a picture of what Jesus would do. So God would look through the portals of time. He would see that Jesus was coming and he would be crucified. And that lamb would be a reminder of God of what he's about to do. And so that those people could be covered until Jesus would come. And then those people that lived historically went to a place called Abraham's bosom where they awaited for Christ to reconcile them with God so that they could enter into the kingdom of heaven. So they, they, that was, purg- if you want to call it purgatory. There's nowhere that that word is used, but they use it. That's why I don't believe that purgatory is, is, exists anymore. It existed until Jesus came because, of, because they couldn't get in without his sacrifice. But it no longer is necessary or needed. My point is this. Jesus got mad because the, the money changers were taking advantage of the people and they were really, they were causing it so that the poor couldn't get reconciled with God because they couldn't afford the animals. Now, if you see a single mom who's getting taken advantage of, do you have the right to be angry for a moment to call out this scam artist and get that woman's money back because he took advantage of a weak woman? Yeah. It's like the kid that sees another kid who's getting bullied and steps in and says, you're, you can't do this. If you're using your anger as a way to be zealous to protect other people, then you have a right to step in and, and be angry. Jesus was in that way. Jesus got angry at people that uh, were accusing other people, like the Sadducees and the Pharisees, of you know, they were, they were holding these weights over the people. They were tell, giving them lists of do's and do nots, and they weren't welcoming them into the flock. They were be considering themselves pious. They were um, showing off their godliness, their holiness, which was little more than show. And they were taking advantage of the people, too, without really caring for them. They made a profit from religion instead of helping people get connected to God, which was their whole purpose. Uh, they, they commercialized what they were doing. So there is, a, there is a time when we can get angry according to Ephesians 4 verse 26. But we need to choose when we're angry. We need to be intentional when we're angry. And it, we need to be angry very seldom. It's, and it certainly doesn't need to be towards the lost, towards our brother, towards our sister. Um, because Matthew 5 has something to say about that. Anybody want to look up Matthew 5 for me? In verse 22, while you're looking that up, I'll read another one. Ecclesiastes 7 and 9 says, keep your temper under control. It is foolish to harbor a grudge. The word there is kael, and it means to be vexed, indignant, grieved, angry, provoked. Uh, but it also means to be displeased. Anybody, anybody ever been so displeased that you responded in anger? It's okay to be displeased. It, it actually is. You can be 
that can actually serve you as an impetus for attaining greater success, for achieving more. I'm, I'm not, I'm not, if you don't stay there, if, if you look towards bettering yourself, being content with what you have but displeased with the status quo can be okay. But it's how we respond. It's more than that. And it means um, to take offense. So it goes beyond being displeased. It means now I'm offended. So if you keep your temper under control, it's foolish to harbor grudge. So who's got Matthew 5? I want to... That's all right. Anybody? Ted, you got it? Okay. You want to get it? Yeah. Verse, verse 22. Oh, verse 22. Sorry. Yeah. You, you're reading good. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. That's pretty strong, right? Thank you very much. Raka means fool. And, uh, and uh, I believe it's the Hebrew... And um, so, obviously, it doesn't mean we get, we get mad at each other. It's Arabic, Aramaic. Aramaic. Um, I don't know why I would say Arabic. It definitely wouldn't be Arabic, Aramaic. It's either, either going to be Aramaic, Greek, or Hebrew, right? Um, so, does everybody clear, understand the clarity in that? God doesn't ask us to be angry at each other, offended at each other, there's never a time where he wants us as his children to be, to be angry unless we see injustice. Injustice is a means to get angry in order to provide justice. But not to stay angry. It is, it is a moment that is fuel in order to implement change which will bring um, equality and fairness. Right? Go ahead, ask. So, I mean, we don't move towards hatred, right? Because, and, and, and there are things that happened to the early church where it was injustice, but um, they allowed it, cause, and Jesus said, you'll be persecuted for my namesake, right? So, I don't see, I don't see Jesus um, getting angry at people outside of the church. The majority of the time I see him getting angry, it's at people that are that are misrepresenting God's kingdom and taking advantage of, of people that don't understand the relationship with God. They're misrepresenting the Father's heart. That's where I see him getting mad. And, and he wasn't territorial. Jesus wasn't a, a person of conquest, you know what I mean, in that sense of zealousness. It's, it's zealous for a heart of people, loving people. Um, and I think there are times where we can't get justice, right? We can't stay angry. So if I, if, I, if I did what I could, if I demonstrated zealousness in a moment and I didn't get the result that I wanted, um, yeah, we can fight for justice still. But at the end of the day, I can't, st- I can't sleep in that anger. I can't let the sun set on my anger. So I've got to give it to God and say, God, I did what I could do 
I confronted the situation. I was, I was assertive. And now, I, and we don't ever wish ill of anybody. We don't hate anybody. So now I, I can't go beyond this. I've done what I can do. Now I've got to put this in your hands. Where do you want me to go from here? How do I love this person through their flaws? How do I forgive this person? Because he always says we have to forgive. Even if we've demonstrated zealousness, your zealousness is, you, don't, you can't use that as an argument for holding on to a grudge. If you do that, you're going back to that, the word in Proverbs or Ecclesiastes where it's ka'ai, you become offended and you're now carrying offense and you're hurting yourself. So that, in the sense of anger that leads to offense, it's not anger that leads to offense. It's, it's zealousness for justice. and it, It's cutting, it's a tool, but it's momentary. Uh, and if you can't, if it, you, it doesn't use force. Um, to hurt people. It's not violent in means, but it is assertive. And it's, it is confrontational. Do we, is, are we getting, are we coming together? Trying, it's hard to, to begin to understand the balance of it because uh, now we're saying, well, wow, I am allowed to get angry? When am I allowed to get angry? What time? But for the most part, anger as it relates to us in our situation is in anger that uh, is not going to resolve it. And a lot of times when we are angered, how many know that we, speak, we begin to see the situation bigger than it was, more dramatic than it was? We, we start to blow it up. We, we, we look back on it. And we're like, this happened to me and my day is ruined. My day, one thing happened to me, my day is ruined. They gave me a chicken sandwich and I ordered a Big Mac. My day is ruined, those dumb people. You know what I mean? And if you, start, if you start personalizing a mistake and, and you devalue a person's humanity, you're walking in anger that's not godly. You start, if you start personalizing, if you take a situation, you isolate the situation, you say, this is what happened, this was wrong, this was unjust, this is something you need to, you need to um, fix. But here's, here's one that is really interesting. Um, I don't have it here. What it says, when you respond and you defend your faith, in, one of the, in the New Testament it says, be gentle about your defense because the people that you're arguing with, you're arguing your case against, may one day get saved. So we've got to be gentle with our confrontation and, our, and we have to be assertive in love, lovingly assertive. You're like, how do I do that? Well, you say, I didn't like what happened, but now I'm not personalizing what happened to, you stole from me, or you stole from that woman, but I'm not coming in saying, you're a thief. You, you are scumbag, dirt of the earth. You, your mama should rue the day that she gave birth to you, <laughs> right, right? I mean, you're, so you're hoping that one day you can still get across and minister to them. You've got to see them as a potential soil to reap a harvest, the very people that you're upset with. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 17 says, people with hot temper do foolish things. When people remain calm, or wise people remain calm. What time do we got here tonight?
anger go and then next is just a little old small something and boom you respond and you're furious so got reprimanded at work mom got reprimanded at work you come home the dishes are still um, you you actually walk you step in on a Lego you walk step in a Lego and all of a sudden yeah and all of a sudden you see that um, somebody left the cupboard open and you're like the cupboard's open why did you shut the cupboard how could you dare do that so a lot of times we we push our frustration down instead of talking about things that we can resolve. So we, don't we shouldn't respond in a way that makes us angry, so we need to wait until we're calm, but then we have a conversation with somebody about, this frustrated me, this hurt me, um, I felt um, irritated when this happened, maybe you need to, I have a personal space issue, I don't like me inside or tickles me, like, in a healthy way before you get to a place where you can't get back from. And the next word is called thymos or, or tumos in the, is how you would say it in the Greek, but it's spelled T-H-Y-M-O-S. It's passion, angry heat. If you were to see it, As well, seen somebody so mad. Panting mad. That's so it goes from anger to passionate tumas mad. We don't want to get there. That's when we lost control. We're not in control anymore. Um, and it takes the breath of God out of us. God gave us breath. He breathed life into Adam. And that, that breath is a breath of peace. And that's one of the ways that we can remain calm as we return to the Holy Spirit. One of the words of the Holy Spirit is pneuma, which means wind, which means breath of God. And what, I, I don't know if you've ever been so mad, but you just, got, you just have to breathe, not in your chest, but in your belly, deep in your belly. And you're like, <sighs> yeah. Inhale. Everybody do it with me right now. Inhale. Breathe out. All right, one more time. Breathe in. Your belly's swelling. Breathe out. Who feels calmer already? Yeah, you feel lighter. Yeah, well, sometimes you need to, sometimes that's, that's, that's not all bad, I guess. 
because you don't have the strength to be mad. <laughs> so what are some practical ways that we can deal with anger? We said logic defeats anger because anger uh, is, believes that it's justified and can quickly become irrational. So logic, engage your logic, think logically, bounce an idea off somebody if you're thinking, I don't want to get mad right now. Do I want to get mad? Is this the right time? Um, remind yourself that the world is not out to get you, right? Don't you need to know that? Sometimes we make ourselves, we're either the, the victor or the victim, and a lot of times we play the victim, and when we play the victim, we feel powerless, and it makes us angry, right? When I feel powerless, it makes me angry. When I feel like the victim, I'm angry. Am I really the victim here, or do I believe I'm the victim, and I'm, when, and, and I'm really creating issues? Angry people tend to curse, swear, or speak very colorful language. So what's your language telling you about yourself? Instead of telling yourself, oh, it's awful, it's terrible, everything's ruined, you need to tell yourself, it's frustrating, it's understandable that I'm upset, but it's not the end of the world, right? There's always a solution. There's always a solution. There's always a solution. And... Getting angry nine times out of ten, probably more like 99 times out of 100, does not fix your situation. Here's ten tips to deal with your temper, or ten tips to tame your temper. All right, you ready? Think before you speak. Think before you speak. That hurts, right? Anybody just feel a shot to the heart? Think before you speak. Number two, once you're calm, then express why you were irritated. So it's not that you're putting it down and pushing it down and pushing it down. It's you're getting calm, and that way you can have a healthy conversation about what it is instead of gunny sacking and, and shoving it. Number three, get some exercise. Run, lift weights, play sports, get out of the house, take a walk, get outside, leave the situation if you can. Um, take a time out. Has anybody ever ever been in an argument? Sometimes, I, I, I've, yeah, we've been in arguments, every one of us. And there's been times where JC and I, I know you like to believe we're perfect, we're fighting. And don't, don't judge me for this, Chelsea, right? Don't judge me for this, Chelsea. But we've been, we've been yelling at each other, and I'm like, okay, we need to take 10. So we'll literally take 10 seconds. And it feels like an eternity when you take them. So I'm going to demonstrate. Oh, I'm so mad right now. I can't believe you don't have food on the table. I worked all day. What did you have going on at home that was so important you couldn't get that meal together? Right? You chauvinist pig. You chauvinist pig. How could you just expect me? Oh, sorry, honey. That's not how I need to treat you when I came. Let's take 10. Take 10. Ready? You ready? Ready? You, hey, no, seriously. I'm being silly. This is a this is a made up story. This isn't a real thing. This is so here. Take ten. Take ten right now. Here we go. Are you ready? Don't talk for ten seconds. Dang, that felt so long. And then you're like, you took a second, you pause, and you're like, you know what? This is stupid. 
you had a rough day or something's not going your way, let's get pizza tonight. Let's, what, whatever, can I help? I'll help you pull some stuff. I'll help you prep. Let's do dinner together. You start coming up with solutions. <laughs> Not for a party pizza. <laughs> Short breaks can help. I'm going to do uh, five more of these. Identify possible solutions like we talked about before. Work on resolving the issue at hand instead of just getting angry at it. Um, stick with I statements. We talked about that. Be, be respectful and specific. I'm upset that you left the table without offering to do the dishes. Don't hold a grudge. Forgiveness is powerful. Number eight, use humor. Laugh at the things that make you human, but use it appropriately, right? Use it appropriately. Number nine, uh, doesn't matter. No, practice deep breathing. We already said that. And number 10, if you can't control it, if you're putting holes in walls, if uh, your anger is making people feel unsafe, if you, um, if you are drinking inappropriately and it's causing you to become a different person, and you, uh, Dr. Jekyll, and you turn into Mr. Hyde, if those are things, you need to talk to somebody. You need to speak with somebody. You need to come in for counseling, that kind of thing. But the truth of this is that um, we talked about it. What's it matter to you? Is it, does this matter to you? Is this a thing? That if you're getting that steamed, I want to I be different. I want to live in peace. And I want to I be able to respond appropriately. And it says in the Bible, in patience you possess your soul. How many times do... Really, the, res the, the resolution for anger is that I need to be more patient, to reflect on the situation, to think about what I want to say, to identify if I'm overreacting, over-responding, or if I've got a trigger, right? So using patience and wisdom, um, go ahead, say. Yep. Other people. That's exactly right. That's very perceptive. That's right. So, guys, uh, with that, I want to say esteem is something, it begins to agitate the water molecules, literally. That's what steam is. It's when the water molecules get agitated at a certain boiling point, and then they start to collide with each other. So, with that, this week, watch who you're colliding into. Uh, and be more, I guess I want to say, intentional, if I do need to collide, that I'm not hitting somebody like this. I'm coming up to them to talk to them, to have a conversation with them. Amen? Yeah. This instead of this. 